We used to have a game when I was a teenager called Martian Astronaut, where you'd um, you'd have a half full two litre bottle of Coke, shake it up, and then clamp your mouth over the top and see how much you could inhale before suffering <laughs> drastic consequences. What? That's the first time I've ever told that anecdote, and it sounds unhinged. It does. How did none of you die? Or like... It's wolfing down a lot of carbon dioxide. I mean, I guess if Elon Musk, Elon Musk does take us to Mars, that's probably going to be the training program. Season 2, episode 40 of the Electronic Wireless Show, Rock, Paper, Shotguns, PC Gaming Podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion, which is that of Alice Bell. Still got a rubbish mic, I'm sorry, there is a better one coming, and also something keeps dicking about with my Audacity recording level and is automatically changing it, and I can't figure out which program it is. It's, do you know what? It's probably the Teams call we're on, because Team is shit. Yeah. <laughs> I this week. By Nate Crowley. Hello, I'm a spokesman for Microsoft Teams. Very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) And James Archer. Hello, good morning. And I'm Alice Bell, uh, and Nate has a a harrowing childhood. (laughs) Martian astronaut made me the man I am today. (gasps) <laughs> Why is it called Martian astronaut? Because you're breathing carbon dioxide like you would on Mars. All right. Okay, sure. <laughs> so it's like this if like you when... were an astronaut from Mars, you'd be desperate for carbon dioxide. So you'd shake up a Coke bottle and have that. I think that was that's the role playing element. Okay. That was the law. This is like. When former podcast host Matthew Castle revealed that one childhood game was his friends hitting him with sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Martian Astronaut really has got big, I'll pay you a fiver to eat a page of the newspaper energy. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, Um, this week, well... We have been some of the news this week, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but our parent company is investigating selling Gamer Network and all the websites. We're chill, though. We're pretty okay about it. Please don't message us saying you're sorry we're being fired, because that's not happening. <laughs> but do do message us if you're Henry Cavill and you want to buy a PC gaming website. Yes. He- Vitamin H, Henry, get in touch. <laughs> And of course, Let's I'll be talk. way more blasé than I have to be under the "you can't kill what's already dead" clause. So, um. exactly. But imagine, Henry, you could pivot us to Warhammer. <laughs> be great. Well, I mean, maybe we're in a magical realist narrative, and the fish on my desk, named Henry Cavill, is in fact an avatar of the man himself, 
uh, that I could do a business deal with. So. <laughs> I hope, you know, in the post-apocalyptic future, there's a sort of uh, strange uh, latter-day religious cult that is sort of arranged around Henry Cavill but has a lot of fish stuff mixed in. Have you seen the trailer for uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes? No. It's got an amazing final shot of this chimp warlord on top of like a smashed up oil tanker. It's just going, (laughs) what a wonderful day! In the most mellifluous voice. He's the new emotions gorilla to me. Uh, Our news editor um, was playing some species of Warhammer game, I don't know which one, and he commented that like it's great because nobody in it has any chill whatsoever. Like anyone you talk to or click on will just yell something about like blood or the emperor. Like, uh, but we're not talking about that. Um, uh, today we're talking about Bethesda being cringe, basically. <laughs> So, Bethesda, and I'm going to start actually by saying that Bethesda have form on this, okay? So, as reported by um, Cheery RPS Fanzine PC Gamer, uh, back in 2018, Bethesda banned a lot of suspected 70, uh, Fallout 76 cheaters, and uh, although a lot of them claimed they were just using mods. And, and more still claimed know, they maybe. were, in fact, Jaguars. It, um. But uh, they sent people... I'm so sorry. <laughs> they, sent, they sent people messages saying, um, if you'd like to appeal your account closure, we would be willing to accept an essay on why the use of third-party cheat software is detrimental to an online game community for our management team to review. <laughs> so they asked people to write, like, essays <laughs> Um to, to appeal their cheat bans uh, and they stopped doing it when the press wrote about it and drew attention to it but it's pretty funny um, Speaking as a now, former substitute teacher that has got massive substitute teacher energy <laughs> what, are they, what are they doing now has been noticed is that, um, and we have a story on this that will be linked in the show notes for this very podcast but uh Starfield's not doing great on Steam reviews. It's got a mixed user review status at this time uh, with about 80,000 reviews currently. And someone on the Bethesda team, uh, the unnamed but platform verified users, is replying to individual Steam reviews, some of which are only one word. One that got a reply was just midfield. That was the entire review. <laughs> That's a great review. Uh, but they're replying, and a lot of them are sort of copy-pasted replies, saying things like, while there may be loading screens in between fast-travelling, just consider the amount of data for the expansive gameplay that is procedurally generated to load flawlessly in under three seconds. <laughs> wow. Or uh, it also suggests people to like play the game differently, um, calling attention to how the experience may vary depending on your progression and dialogue choices, and it exhorts the viewer to try rolling different characters with different specs. You will feel like you're playing a totally different game, the post suggests, adding 
<laughs> that there are so many layers to Starfield that you will find things you've never known were possible after playing for hundreds of hours. <laughs> for real? So, yeah. This is what they say. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff about basically where people complain that it feels small or anything like that. They basically say, like, you're wrong, play it differently. <laughs> um, I, in part... There's part of me that thinks this is absolutely incredible. I mean, the sheer, like, the sheer brazen chancer points of using a response to a negative review as ad space is incredible. Well, my my favourite was uh, one that says, you know, we're sorry that you feel the planet's empty or boring or whatever. But... (laughs) When the astronauts went to the moon, it was empty and they weren't born. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, it's not the same, is it? (laughs) That's quite a bold claim about the fidelity of your game, that it's comparable (laughs) to being the first person to set foot on an extraplanetary body. <laughs> do you know what though? I would bloody love if they if someone made Buzz Aldrin do a let's play and talked about how close it is to the real experience. Well it's one me. small step for man. A fucking incredible RPG. <laughs> um now this was pointed out uh on on Twitter and via Eurogamer and, and lots of places and people reacted to it because it does feel a bit embarrassing because Bethesda is a huge company and it kind of feels like Todd Howard is sitting on the toilet <laughs> responding to all of these stuff. Um, I don't know. What was your initial reaction, James? That uh, it was deeply like sad and uncomfortable to behold. <laughs> I, I know a lot of developers do this, saying, like, re- reply to bad reviews saying they're working on fixing a bug or resolving like a specific issue, but that is a million miles from going up to randos and saying, oh no, the game is good actually, or some variant of <laughs> no, you're just, no, you're just, not, you're just not getting it. Um, I think if you have faith in your game and you genuinely believe your game is good, you and you don't somehow forget that your game has sold over 10 million copies, then you probably <laughs> shouldn't stoop to getting in Steam comment arguments. <laughs> Because that's because that's what they are in the end. They're just a slightly more politely written, <laughs> politely written variant of, you know, having a having a bargy on a forum, and for a, yeah, for a publisher of Bethesda's stature, that is kind of a pathetic look. And to be honest, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, we we said like what exactly these replies have been saying, and they are, yes, very varyingly cringe. But it it kind of wouldn't matter even if they were making these absolutely brilliant arguments that did change people's minds about Starfield instantly because the, de- the delivery method for these arguments is just sad. It's, it's just sad. Please, please don't do this. <laughs> well, as pointed out in Edwin's write-up on this, uh, there are quite a lot of developer responses. Some posted as recently as yesterday at the time of writing. Many are copy and pasted. I get the impression the customer service teams have basically been told to look busy. It isn't making much difference to Starfield's fortunes. At the time of writing, the game has once again fallen behind its indefatigable ancestor Skyrim in the daily Steam player charts. 
Uh, and yeah, many of the reviews Bethesda are trying to debate consist of a single sentence. One just reads midfield, <laughs> which is that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I should say I don't really like player count stories, especially not as a mechanism for dunking on games. Um, even if you assume that player counts are accurate, and like, it still leans into this mindset that the quality of a game is directly related to the popularity of that game. Yeah. Also, Sky- Skyrim is, by the standards of any single-player RPG, this massive anomaly in terms of its longevity and its like lingering cultural status, uh, and I think that's really cool. Like, I I think Skyrim's great, and people are doing still doing interesting things with mods and like. But comparing any similar game to it feels still like a little unfair because it is just one of those one in a million like immortal games that people will probably <laughs> play forever. And Starfield has problems, but it feels harsh to drag it for not being another one in a million games specifically. Like, I've been thinking about this this week because there's a direct parallel. Of course, my favourite game, Age of Empires 2, which kind of drowned the release of Age of Empires 4, which was good. Like, it was perfectly fine. It's just had a DLC out that I haven't even thought about touching because I'm still playing Age of Empires 2. And that's, yeah, again, that is Spider's George throwing the average off really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too off topic, but did you guys see um, there's a story yesterday? Uh, so Chet Falasek, formerly of Valve, now of Stray Bombay, uh, he was talking about how SteamDB allegedly miscounts the player count for the Anacrusis. Ooh. So apparently, okay, uh, apparently it can according 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 to him, it can read as only having one player online when it in fact has ten thousand. Um, I don't know to what extent the figures he gives are actually correct but if steam if you know if steam and steam to can get it even half that wrong it seems like maybe we should start being less credulous about player count numbers yeah sure it seems like somewhere where there definitely is a margin for error yeah. and the question is how much of a margin there is but you're quite right if yeah. if it is distorted it's not a metric you want to be judging anything on in in objective terms all of this is not to f- say that what Bethesda are doing with Starfield's reviews is not cringe because it it, it deeply is. <laughs> I mean, it's also worth pointing out about player counts is that they mean different things for different games, and obviously a single player game is going to drop off. Yeah. Player counts after release in the months after release is just going to gradually dip, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because player counts you'll see more sustainable on like live service games stuff like that. Um. Uh, a wrinkle uh, in the discussion was added uh, yesterday after I had emailed you guys saying we're going to talk about this as developers started to point out that this is sort of becoming um, uh, as Zalavia Nelson Jr. put it industry standard uh, so uh, he is the, the lead of Strange Scaffold he's written for RPS in the past as well but uh, because of how important a role Steam ratings play in the proven ability to sometimes flip negative reviews based off simply interacting with a user, it's spreading. And um, this was quote tweeted by Dylan Rogers, who uh, is uh, making Gloomwood, a uh, developer at New Blood. And uh, it's uh, Gloomwood is a great game. Uh, if you liked Thief, the original Thief, 
check it out. Uh, but he said, yeah, we've been doing this for a few years now. A lot of people will flip their review if you reach out and let them know you're working on the issue or helping them resolve a bug. It makes a big difference when it comes to the algorithm. For Gloomwood in particular, flipping reviews is kind of important because we're right at the edge of overwhelmingly positive. So one negative always pushes it out of what is the best selling bracket. And it's often someone saying, like, I hit a bug that we can fix. So he does say, uh, I totally get the Bethesda replies are like kind of weird. Part of me finds it really funny. They're just like, no, the fast, the menu fast travel is fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the point, and it's kind of what you said, James. They're not saying like, oh, thank you for letting us know about this bug. We're working on this, or we're making this change. They're saying like, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think if if they did do like the oh yeah, we're fixing this specific issue thing, then no one would have a problem with it. It is just that they are. Yeah, que- questioning people's <laughs> tastes and interpretations of their game. <laughs> Do you mind if I disgrace myself by doing a bit of like actual business chat on this? Because I do, I do. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, this, this is oh, this is like in in movies when a former hitman like gives someone a chilling look. Um, <laughs> this this happens all the time in banking, um, and I can exactly see the management that has gone you'd have gone into making this happen. Because what Dylan brilliantly points out is the, you know, the category of the interaction that works, that can convert a, a review is, yeah, as you were just saying, you know, pointing out that uh, that something is being being fixed. But like the larger a business is, the more its ultimate management is obsessed with metrics that they can act on. So they will have worked out there is a Steam review conversion metric that, you know, for exactly the logic Dylan runs through, is very effective. And then they just try to ram it into a new vertical market where it has no relevance, you know, like in a it, making qualitative responses to people's subjective experiences for a game that has sold that many fucking copies is an insane cargo cult attempt to, to recreate a perfectly sensible strategy in a totally different place. It's, it's kind of beautiful. Business is healing. Oh, God. Uh, what do we think about the... Because it's a weird... What in that the content of a review does not really matter in as as much as the the final recommended not recommended or having scores. Which is why I'm really pleased we don't have scores on RPS because I think the um the system whereby your Metacritic average determines the fate of your entire development studio. Yeah, is ve- is very bad. Like, yeah, like. It, it, the world is at the moment completely berserk for KPIs. Like that is the blood yeah. that's being sucked out of us all. Yeah, and as um, as pointed out by Salavio uh, and and Dylan, this this is sort of one of the ways that you can kind of fight back against you know unfair review bombing and stuff as well by by trying to flip reviews. And a lot of the time as well, I've noticed as a content hashtag content creator on the internet i don't know if either of you noticed this but people will say something very mean and then if you respond in a human way and say like oh well thanks for your comment that was quite mean they oh, will yeah. feel bad you know oh yeah for <laughs> they sure realize that they said something horrible to a human <laughs> like them with thoughts and dreams i've seen that happen on reddit a lot 
in in particular, um, I saw someone get very very angry about a perceived plot hole uh, in something I'd written, and I, I just without any drama at all said, "Oh no, actually, you missed this 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 line," and they were like, "Oh, actually, yeah, that's that's, that's very reasonable." And it was one of those rare weird moments of like successful Godwinian discourse on Reddit. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I guess we have um, a a slightly weird relationship because we are reviewers. James, you review hardware and stuff as well, um, and I, you know, I think we try to be very balanced and fair and reasonable. And but but our reviews are kind of weighted to maybe be more significant, but maybe they're not because our, you know all the steam reviews are important right and like i don't know what i'm saying it's <laughs> there's also it's got it's I said, there is some brilliant comic writing in steam reviews not across the board it's certainly not universal but like no. i do think it is actually a valid theater for like you know entertaining commentary because a lot of people more and more people are reading them you know and as, as yeah. we discussed they are more and more important so like Probably not a bad place to cut your teeth writing about games, honestly. I'm going to stop you there because I receive far too many freelance pitches from people who cite their Steam review record uh, <laughs> as examples of their writing, and I do not want to increase that metric. Um, D- if you d- are delete me, my last comment. <laughs> backspace, backspace, backspace. Um, I, I recommend pitches from everyone, but um, if you could please write... Um, something that is not a Steam review to support your pitch if you've never written anything before that is preferred. Unless you're pitching um, to me. Now, admittedly, I can't publish you anywhere, but <laughs> I don't mind you citing as many Steam reviews as you like. Uh, I, as well, I get reviewed now, which is an odd thing, but um, being called a shithead and uh, being emailed threats for years uh, on the internet has kind of made me immune <laughs> to, to oh. hurt <laughs> from reviews. It's so, a statement that should never have to be said, but it's a funny one. No, I know. but uh, So I read all, like the reviews of my book and I've taken on board stuff, you know, people have said it slows down a bit in the middle. I'm like, yeah, babes, I agree. I'm going to try, you know, <laughs> keep it on, that sort of thing. Uh, but I have never once replied saying like, I think you're wrong. My book is good. <laughs> Try reading it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, like going back to what you said about if you reply to a rude commenter like a human being, they will realize that they're being rude to a human being. For that inter- for that interaction to work, you need to reply like a human being. You don't. Yeah. You, should, you should not say. <laughs> Just consider the amount of data for the expansive gameplay <laughs> that is procedurally generated to load flawlessly in under three seconds. That's not something a human <laughs> says. <laughs> uh, Todd Howard might, I don't know, but. Well, yeah, if you imagine you know, a, a social interaction, like if someone, like, you know, if you're out at the pub and a mean drunk man was like, oh, you look like. Krusty the Clown, and you'll actually, I look more like Sideshow Bob um, because of the colour of my hair and, uh, you know, my propensity to step on rakes or whatever. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't react like that. 
No. <laughs> I stepped on a rake once. Truly. What did you? Did it? Did it do the thing? Yeah. So I, 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 I was like, I was a child. I just want to point out, or like a very early teenager, and I, I, I saw it lying on the ground, and I remember thinking of like the sideshow Bob joke, but I thought like. There's no way that if you, if you stepped on a rake, it would like car- cartoonishly fly up and hit you square <laughs> in the face. Like that's just car- that's you know that's cartoon physics. So to prove this, I stepped on the rake and it flew up and hit me square in the face. <laughs> I'm now imagining like the worst ever like young adults superhero squad of me, James, and Matthew. Me just like breathing carbon dioxide. <laughs> James bouncing on rakes and Matthew summoning menacing clouds of thrashing sticks to beat himself. (laughs) Illustrated by Raymond Briggs. (laughs) Oh no. Could it be one of those like romance ones that has a kind of semi kawaii like <laughs> illustration on the front where you're like We all have cat ears. All... Yeah, and you're like and you all have like satchel messenger bags and... <laughs> Oh don't even joke. Talassa's got obsessed with putting cat ears on me after receiving a pair of the damn things from her nan. So I'm a part time <laughs> cat boy now <laughs> against my will. Part time Okay, that's got to be my team's uh, screen name next week, Part Time Cowboy. <laughs> Full time lover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyone seen uh, Napoleon? No, I did say, I tweeted, I think that Bethesda should have designed Starfield with much more Ridley Scott promoting Napoleon energy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and just been like, have you been to space? No? Then shut the fuck up. And then just put a load of aliens in it. We exploded the moon because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> just don't get it. Uh, uh, have you seen Napoleon? Yes. I, I saw someone say that there's a lot more doggy style than you'd expect. <laughs> it feels like... Like... A much expanded version of the film within a film footage from a movie about a comically disastrous attempt to make a biopic about Napoleon. If you see what I mean, okay. Like okay. it would be incredibly funny in that context. Um, at times, it is filmed like a sitcom. It's very, very like, and some of the humor is definitely <laughs> meant to be intentional, and some of it definitely is not. And okay. I just cannot fathom the the depth of the contempt Ridley Scott holds for Napoleon. <laughs> like it is just spending two hours and forty minutes saying this guy was a wanker. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of it. Go and see it see genuinely. <laughs> I went to see Wish, the new Disney thing at the weekend. It does a lot of like. Uh, really poor self-referencing to other Disney stuff, but it's got Alan Tudyk in it as the the goat sidekick animal, and he just—I don't know if you've seen the Harley Quinn uh, animation, the recent one. I oh, love it, yeah. Alan, 
Alan Tudyk's in it, and he does Clayface in it, and he's just doing the say he's doing the Clayface voice for the scope. Really? It's just the yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realise so, that was Alan Tudyk, truly yeah. a master of the theatrical arts. Uh, so it's great if you've seen that anime. It is the, the film is improved if you go and just imagine that Clayface <laughs> is playing the goat. <laughs> Clayface. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um, I think we've just yeah. It's fine to reply to reviews, but just be normal. I think is the the takeaway from this. Um, let's move on to talk about the games that we've been playing this week. James, what have you been playing this week? Uh, I've played nothing but Dark Tide for two weeks, and that's well, that, that's bad for this particular bit of the podcast. And I'm sorry. But I don't know. They just they they made Dark Tide really good. It is to, it is very good to the point where so so when when this game first came out last year, I was running in my mouth a lot about how first person melee combat doesn't work in games because the physical act of clicking a mouse feels too far removed from the physical act of swinging an electrified sword clean through seven armored plague zombies. Yes. And whereas Vermintide had me like convinced that this was true, Darktide is making me feel a bit like I was talking bollocks. Because if you actually engage with the finer details of the melee system in Darktide, it can actually have this very satisfying rhythmic aspect to it. So my Ogrin has this enormous combat knife, and the first the first two light attacks in the standard combo are single target thrusts. And mm-hmm. then its third attack is a cleave. Now you want cleave in Dark Tide. Cleave solves many problems. But if you just keep doing light attacks with this knife, only a you know a small minority of swings will cleave. Likewise, if you just keep doing heavy attacks by themselves, because they don't reliably cleave either, except, except when you do a heavy attack immediately after that third light attack, right? So if you alternate light and heavy attacks properly, like all your attacks will cleave. And that's brilliant. So there's this fun little rhythm mini game where you go like <laughs> you go like light, 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 heavy, light, heavy, light, heavy, and it's just so satisfying when you pull it off and just <laughs> mulch everything in front of you. Uh, Even so, yeah. better when it's perfectly in rhythm to disposal unit <laughs> sausages, carrots, <laughs> elephants, platypus. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, so yes, I was I was wrong about that and uh Dark Tide is brilliant. There you go. Okay. Uh Nate, what have you been playing this week? I've been opening the door, getting on the floor, role playing as a dinosaur. Um Path of Titans has uh had a big update recently. Um so yeah, I've been I've been being a dinosaur again, various types. Uh been going back to Count Flapula. My Quetzalcoatlus, um, and uh, also got a Pachycephalosaurus, which the the running men with the circular heads, the beast people with their their skulls. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got one of those called Ramo the Magnificent. Um, he's he's been good fun. Um, yeah, also a big sauropod, an Argentinosaurus, which is one of the largest creatures to ever 
ever live. Um, and I, I won't lie, the other day I, I, I spent an hour quite high just watching it walk through some rain. Um, and that was all the game needed to do. So yeah, that's been that's been a big treat. And also, um, weirdly enough, um, just to cram some more Warhammer in, uh, Mechanicus, the XCOM-alike about uh, tech priests uh, rummaging through a Necron garage sale. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, like Darktide, just a phenomenal soundtrack as well. I suppose that was... Yeah, that, that in terms of turn-based tactics, that has been 40k's big hits, just like Darktide has been in, mm. in FPSs. So yeah, I've been doing a bit of that. It's that's lovely. What would be in a Necron's garage sale? Um... A portrait of Dorian Gray style portrait, but it's just of like an alarm clock or like a bit of metal or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the joke is it never changes. And there's 80 copies of it. <laughs> also, uh, an entire VHS archive of Casualty, uh, the BBC medical series. Um, actually, why, why am I even answering this? Robert Rath answered the Necron Garage sale question um, with uh, the Infinite and the Divine, which is about, well, the one of the two main characters, a Trazin, who is uh, an archivist and now just stops himself going mad by filling a planetary-sized museum with stuff from Warhammer, which is very, very funny because he's just a Warhammer guy. <laughs> good, good. Um, I... I've not been playing anything I can talk about, unfortunately, because I'm playing something for review. I know this is the worst journal scum shit to do. But <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing something for review that I, the the embargo is next week, so I could talk about it next podcast. But that's basically the only thing I've been playing, unfortunately. I'm so sorry. Um. So yeah. That's, is it? Ours. Is it good? <laughs> can you tell us that? Oh no, it. I can't. I can't give you a, you're, you're a not, yes or no you're not, answer. You're not naming it. Have you encountered the concept of an eel yet in it? Uh, no, but I'd say like there are eel vibes. Like it feels like you could encounter an eel in it. You know. Um, there we go, I, folks. I, <laughs> Bioshock Three. <laughs> I it's not, I would tell you if it's good or bad. I mean, I literally I cannot. You won't know until you've seen the eels. Yeah, well, exactly. No, it's both good and bad. It has good and bad things in it, James. Imagine okay. that. I, I've, <laughs> Imagine I, a mix of things. Due, due to a combination of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I have been a bit inattentive as to, as to what my colleagues are up to at the moment, so I, like, I genuinely don't know what this game is. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to find out like, to, to what extent. I'll tell you what, you can ask me, ask me other questions about it, like the eel question, and I'll answer it. Um, what's what's the percentage likelihood that the developers will end up having uh, arguments with their players in the Steam reviews? I think low. They're pretty sound. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to represent the amount of violence you've encountered so far in the game as a sort of a, a leering Cockney pub hulk, how frightening would this man be? Oh, he'd be very small, and he'd uh, kind of probably like trip over okay. rather than actually attack you personally. 
But that's not a violent game. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Let's move on. <laughs> what type of amphibian? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, no. actually, saying that will make you chuckle. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I picked Tally up from school and we were talking about her nativity play where she's got to be the back end of a camel. And I was talking about all the reasons she could feel good about that. And then she just ta- started talking some absolute nonsense about wasps and nets. And I got really distressed for a second because she, you know, seemed to have no yeah. connection with reality. And she said, oh, no, I'm, I'm just very interested in insects and I wanted to talk about them. <laughs> I felt very proud in that moment because I've been using that same fucking tactic for nearly 40 years. Uh, We should just do that next next episode. So speaking of ants, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, it feels like a good day to wear hard. Uh, yes, indeed. So today I like to delve into something that we don't normally cover on RPS, or indeed the Electronic Wireless Show, and that is the world of the mini PC. Uh, you may have seen these. They are about the size of the box you get Domino's cookies in, and they are built That's to be... such... I love it. I love that. <laughs> and they wow, are built to right. be... And they're built to be very cheap, very quiet, and very power efficient, so they're usually used for stuff like digital signage and uh, touchscreen self-service machines, uh, but some of them can play games. And the YouTube channel EGA Prime recently posted a hands-on preview of something called the Phoenix Edge Z1, notable for being the first mini-PC with AMD's Ryzen Z1 chip, which is mainly found, or more commonly found, in the cheaper, less powerful less powerful version, sorry, of the Asus ROG Ally. So, this this PC, the Phoenix Z1, will cost around $299, so less than the Ally Ooh. and less, in fact, than a Steam Deck. But it is technically a Windows-capable PC, and according to ETA Prime's benchmarks, it will do, like, over 60 FPS in Horizon, uh, Forza Horizon 5 at 1080p, uh, 70 to 80 FPS in Grand Theft Auto 5, and around 45 FPS in Marvel's Spider-Man, which for something that cheap and doesn't have a conventional graphics card, it has like laptop-style combined CPU and GPU, uh, that doesn't seem too bad. Um, and it actually made, me th- actually made me think of you, Nate, because I know you're weighing <laughs> up either getting a Steam Deck or a new desktop PC. Yeah. So assuming you're okay with not having like top-of-the-line performance... Would something like this mini PC interest you, or is it a yes. case of, or is it a case of, well, if I'm only going to get like this level of performance, you may as well get a Steam Deck and have it be portable as well? No, I really, I, this this is a good use case because I have a, a laptop for portability, um, but if I have this, like one of the, the the problems is I use my desk for a lot of things. Um, yeah. Like, because I do a lot of modeling and stuff as well. And so I'm forever sort of switching the configuration. And something like this would just make that a lot easier. Um, You know, and would make... It would make my space less dominated by the PC. Yeah, because you could, like, like mount it to the the underside of your desk. 
and it wouldn't even like it wouldn't even take up floor space. God, that's not a bad idea. And presumably, like, because my one of the the big litmus tests I have for things is is can it open a hundred and fifty thousand word Google documents without crying? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm a bit of a RAM that, beast, but presumably, yeah, that might. Happy. The, the, these mini PCs tend to be like mostly not uh, like mostly locked down in terms of like you can't replace a lot of the components. But normally the RAM is like the easiest thing you can upgrade in it. So, oh, cool! Okay. Yeah, like I, I've I've not seen inside uh, the Phoenix Edge Z one, um, but like similar similar ones. Yeah, like it's super super duper easy to change the RAM. So yeah, maybe. Did you um, uh, did you already say how much money it eats? Um, well, it's not. It hasn't. So when you, when you say money, it eats as in like um, electricity. Oh, I, I was just like, finding a very unusual way of saying how much does it cost. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, it, it it's not out yet, but the the makers reckon it will cost around two hundred ninety nine dollars. So I imagine that would be something like low three hundred pounds, maybe. Cheapest the Roman bargain. Hmm. <laughs> So yeah, that's 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 interesting, and it like I said, like it's something we don't really cover on RPS, but it is a PC and it does play games. So I'm starting to wonder if maybe I should start. Hmm. So uh, I don't know. Like, let, if, us, if, let us know. Yeah, yeah like right, right in if you want to if you want to hear more about mini PCs, or if you'd like me to test one for James <laughs> for, for several years. <laughs> <laughs> Can it run Age of Empires 2? Certainly. Probably. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you. Is there a beans metaphor? Um, it's just a small tin of beans, but with a lot of Yeah, it's a small tin. tin of beans, but it still tastes nice. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the uh, beans metaphors write themselves. It's one of those, it's one of those little um, snap, snap pods. Pods? Is that the word? Um, snack pods, yeah. Snack pods, yeah. yeah. I'll go one better. It's like those little ice cream tubs at the theatre, only there's beans in it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, imagine a theatre audience oh, Al- slurping down <laughs> cold beans. Uh, Alice, have you seen the incredibly cursed beans cooled PC that Nate put in Discord? Not yet. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh. <laughs> Someone. Build a water cooling reservoir with beans. <laughs> I mean, it what it it might work. Like in theory, any any liquid, <laughs> any liquid could potentially any like non corrosive liquid could potentially work. There was a proper like mad scientist glint in your voice. There could work. <laughs> Speaking of Nate doing horrible things, it's time for the uh, the cabin of or the tower of jocularity. Um, well, we're all a bit shaken up here in the tower after last week's uh, Dracula boat incident. Um, for listeners who missed last week, um, there was a, a, a boat Dracula hybrid being played by uh, James in an improvised role-playing game about Age of Empires. Uh, that's all over now, but unfortunately... Um, Dracula-themed boat trouble has not left our doorstep. Um, 
Can this... I just say as well, for listeners who, who did listen to last week's episode, I cut that down by about four minutes. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> just imagine the experience of recording that. Today we're going to be going to sea um, on a boat crewed by Draculas. Uh, they're good Draculas. It's fine. Um... This is a time jump forward in the plot line where you know boat Draculas are are now the dominant civilization on the planet, and we are on one of their boats. But the problem is, Russell Crowe has stowed aboard in a casket of earth from Australia, and he's fist fighting the crew to death one by one. So you're in the hold, and you're going to knock on the various coffins of earth, and determine by the answer whether there is a Dracula inside or Russell Crowe. Um, in effect, I'm going to read you quotes and you're going to tell me whether they're from 2003 uh, Maritime Horror, The Last Voyage of the Demeter or Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Cool. Okay, you I'm ready? So related to video games. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Dracula and boats are in so many games. That's true, I can't argue with that. All right, you ready? Yeah, yes. A boat without hats? Such a thing is against nature. A boat without hats? Uh, t- uh, last Voyage of the Demeter. That's right, yes, that was a Dracula, can you say? Yes, because Dracula ate all them rats, baby! Oh, I uh, thought so... you said... I thought you said hats. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, wow, it's probably Master and Commander because that was a, that was at a time when everyone wore hats. <laughs> a boat without hats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Men without hats? Such a thing. Right. I do not fear you. You will. That. Wh- wh- which speaker is either Russell Crowe or the Dracula? Is it the second one? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, that sounds like a Dracula I... threat. No, no, I'm saying that's a Russell Crowe because Dracula in Last Voyage of the Demeter is a big bat monster that shrieks. So I think it's Russell Crowe. I'm afraid that one was. Ah. Uh, Dracula making a Russell Crowe face. But that's fine, Dracula's safe in this game. (laughs) This is the second time he's done this to me. There will not be a third. Can you give us a clue as to what the it is? (laughs) Uh, It's either a bombardment with cannons or blood drinking. Uh, see, I, I metagaming, I would say, like, surely a Russell Crowe's got to come up now, but what if it... What Maybe if they're all, all Draculas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I think that was Russell Crowe. It is indeed, it is indeed. Okay, okay, all right, was, okay, you put all a, right. You put a steak, um, but a good sirloin through Russell Crowe's heart and... Uh, <laughs> It's delicious. He's very happy. He leaves the boat. Okay, one more. Men must be governed, often not wisely. They must be governed nonetheless. 
I think it was Russell Crowe. I don't think Dracula's interested in governing humans. Oh, it could have been anyone else on the ship. Okay. Oh, okay. So in the, in the last round, I finally understood the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula doesn't say a lot except for screeching. I love the idea of Dracula saying a ship without hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I haven't seen the last voyage of the Demeter. <laughs> Neither have you I. Might have, you might have been disguised. Dracula being a... fucking appalled by fashion a... crimes on the high seas. <laughs> Our flag means okay. Dracula. I, I, think, <laughs> I think this is another Demeter. Uh, no, that is Russell Crowe. That oh, is Russell Crowe. Uh... Final one. This is, uh, this is the tiebreaker. I guess I haven't been keeping score. Down! All hands down! Did they turn the ship into a submarine? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm saying uh, Russell Crowe. I think Nate would want to end on a Dracula. Just don't forget there's a scene where Dracula flies about. Okay, I'm going Dracula as well. I'm going with James. Oceans have become Dracula's. It was Russell Crowe. Oh, son of a gun! (laughs) Good game! Well fought, I'm afraid. Son of a Dracula. Russell Crowe's gonna fist fight you into the sea now. Thank you very much, Nate. That was incredibly more sedate than last week. <laughs> That's much appreciated. Um, that's about it for this week's episode of the Electronic Wireless Show podcast, Rock Paper Shotgun's PC Gaming Podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. It was season two, episode 14. Every week, we close the show by recommending something that is not a Dracula. So, that's uh, <laughs> what have we got this week. James, what are you recommending? So, not to be overly niche, but I'm recommending the wedding planning app, Bridebook. Uh, so as I said last week, it turns out that planning a wedding involves a lot of stuff and searching around for venues and caterers and photographers, and it's all very overwhelming. And Bridebook is just really good at narrowing things down and then streamlining like the inquiry process. So you can, for example, hmm. set like where you want your wedding, um, or, like when you want it, then search for venues like filtered by a specific location. And then, if you like, good. if you like the look of any of the, any of the results, you can just press a button on them, and then that will automatically send a brochure request to the venue, who will then reply with all their like materials into an inbox that you can then share with your partner, who then also has the app, and then you have like a shared account. So it's just making the whole process a lot easier to, I guess, pass and keep handles on. Uh, so yeah, it's good. And as as I've discovered, you can use Bridebook. Even if you're not a bride. Wow. Well, is it like Go Compare for weddings then? I've 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 not used Go Compare to be honest. Um, it's I guess it's more like the Argos catalog. <laughs> like is it is everything it's everything in one place? Oh, that'd be! I would love that if you did an Argos for weddings where you went with your little pencil and then you went to a man and he brought out like a photographer and like a, a cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> from the back. Um, Nate, what are you recommending this week? See, what I'd want is like the um, like the Necronomicon for, from the Evil Dead films, but for wedding planets, you'd, wedding planning, so you'd just like roar out Sumerian curses and photographers bloom into being behind you. It'd be very good. 
Um, luckily, such a thing doesn't exist, so I won't recommend it. Um, <laughs> feeling a bit bad, actually, because last week uh, I, I properly bethesda it and said, well, this isn't a game, and then proceeded to recommend a game. So this week I've got two recommendations. Uh, <laughs> okay. One being uh, season two of the animated show Invincible, which I've been watching. Um, it's it's extremely good. Um, the first season had a lot of J.K. Simmons just being phenomenally frightening in it. Uh, it's wonderfully animated and uh, it's got a great soundtrack as well, um, which links me to my second recommendation, which is the album Texture by Battle Tapes, uh, the song Alive from which appears on an episode of Invincible. So yeah, great album. I've been uh, listening to it a lot while looking at uh, an abandoned windmill locally. Oh, Battle Tapes is an oh, amazing name for a band. Yeah, they're, they're fucking brilliant. They're kind of like, if Girls Aloud were male, depressed, and from Los Angeles, <laughs> that's the vibe. <laughs> Very good. Um, I'm going to start with a mini recommendation, because uh, this just before we started recording, this podcast, uh, Alistair Beckett King, who's one of the, the Twitter comedians. He does stand up as well, but he does very good little, very oh, good, very really funny, yeah. high effort little comedy skits <laughs> on on Twitter and YouTube. And he's done one today that's every video game ever. And it just starts off with a guy is in first person 3D and the guy just wakes up and goes, another day, of, it's 8am, another day of my job of being sad. <laughs> Uh, and then it goes from there and it's very very funny um, and then my other recommendation I wasn't sure I was back and forth on what to recommend this week um, but I'm going to recommend the third season it's a bit late now but I'm going to recommend the third season of Only Murders in the Building um, it's uh, on Disney Plus it's a sort of cosy crime comedy thing um, with Martin Short um, Steve Martin and uh uh, Selena Gomez. I always nearly say Demi Lovato, but um, they solve murders that happen in their really nice Upper West Side apartment in New York. And uh, the budget for season three obviously kicked up a notch because it has both Paul Rudd and um, Meryl Streep in it. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very good. Um, there's a hot, there's a musical in it with songs written by uh, Pesek and Paul, who did The Greatest Showman. It's all kicking off. Man. Oh, wow. um, I would say maybe the there's not a, the same amount of screen time for the three leads. It's very much Martin Short's uh, show this time, but that's okay because it's very funny. Um, it's very good. You should check it out. There you go. That's my recommendation. Um, and I think that's that's it now. We can say goodbye. We can release ourselves from this, Let's drown this ape. Dracula prison. <laughs> drown this ape! Fucking hell. <laughs> oh god. Rock Paper Shotgun is on uh, basically all social medias even though they're dying. Just search Rock Paper Shotgun you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> X, Blue Sky, just whatever. That was um, such an accidental can... partridge moment. <laughs> <laughs> so all the social media even though it's dying... <laughs> <laughs> oh, up next, uh, Napoleon's recorded his, uh, his attack on, on Egypt. Yes, it's battle tape. <laughs> <laughs>
Andre, der Lese geht. Oh, your PC Gaming News, go to www.robbybishock.com. I'm out of here. You say goodbye as well, lad. Rest is good for the blood. Goodbye. <laughs>